1: Let's get it on and welcome back to another hour of the restaurant show. I'm your host, Mike Boyle. Love to have you join me every Saturday, 10 to 1 in Colorado Springs, every Saturday afternoon, 3 to 5 in Denver, every Sunday, 10 o'clock until noon with a simulcast all up and down the front range. Uh, We just got done talking with Pete Coors. You know what? I didn't get to cover everything I wanted. Pete's a longtime friend. Dear, dear, wonderful, wonderful man. Great family. We're going to have him back for a couple more segments. But uh, I wanted to let you know that if you want to check out my upcoming events, you can go to my website, MikeBoyle.com. I am in Cabo San Lucas right now. Uh, We flew down earlier this week with a group of listeners and uh, flew United Airlines nonstop, got transferred down to the Ryu Palace on uh, the beach. And uh, wonderful, wonderful, all-inclusive property. You obviously have missed this winter getaway. But April 3rd to the 10th, I'm going to take a group of listeners to... Cancun. We're going to fly nonstop into Cancun on United Airlines. We're going to be transferred over to the Ryu Palace, Kukukan. It is where we stayed last September. And we generally don't go back to the same property, especially going back quite this quickly. But it's an adult-only property, and people loved it so, so, so much that um, we decided that we're going to go back, and a lot of people have already signed up for it. Yes, I am going to take—I did not for this trip, but for the trip in April, I will be taking baseball equipment with me. I've had a number of you contact me. Uh, I made some great contacts on the Yucatan Peninsula And we've been able to start, we, that's you and me, the listeners, and uh, we have been able to start baseball programs on the Yucatan Peninsula in some of these very poor villages. You know, if you're just trying to get through the day, if you're just trying to feed your family, if you don't make much money, maybe your house doesn't even have running water, maybe it doesn't have electricity in some of these villages, you really don't have money for baseball equipment. The kids go to school, then they go play baseball, and we are helping with that. So if you have any other baseball equipment or if you'd like to give me cash i go to play it against sports and castle rock hillary over there does a great job of helping us out so uh, that's the trip coming up april 3rd to the 10th it's on my website at mikeboil.com we have some other things coming up upon our return colorado springs has some wonderful events those are on the calendar those are on the website we also have on wednesday the 24th a restaurant show book club get-together at the Viewhouse Restaurant in Centennial, and... Uh it's, we have about generally 15, 16, 17 people. It's not a conventional book club because I get some authors to come. I get a lot of books in the mail. I put them out on the table and everybody leaves with one or two or three hardback books. So if you think you'd like to join us for that, go to my website, look it up January 24th and contact Lisa Fellow. She is the coordinator for that. So. Anyway, there's a couple of other things coming up. They're all on my website, but let's do this. Let's go ahead and take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk with Pete Coors for a couple of more segments. Just a wonderful guy. You know what? And the Coors Brewing Company is a very iconic company, 150 years. Um, So I think you're going to find, if you listen to the first hour, it'll be on podcast. I'm also going to turn my whole segment with Pete Coors into a podcast, but let's come back with Pete on the Mike Boyle Restaurant show. All right. Welcome back to the Mike Boyle restaurant show where we talk about restaurants, travel, movies, books, sports, whatever I feel like talking about. And I feel like talking about Pete Coors and beer. I feel like talking about beer. Um, Pete, did you see the craft beer? We talked about a lot of different stuff, but did you see the craft beer craze? Coming. I've got two stories. First of all, I understand that Blue Moon, which started in about 1995 when Coors Field was built, is that correct? And is it the largest craft beer in the country?
2: Uh, yes, on both on both accounts. Okay. The, uh, I think we we saw the craft beer uh, craze coming, but we didn't really know how to deal with it and it was just, it was really interesting. Probably not the, the guys, magnitude. The guys at the uh, our, our, our brewers at the Sandlot Brewery of Coors Field came up with Blue Moon which is a Belgian white beer and uh, you know, we've got some unbelievably good brewers uh, working for the company and have been to this day and they came up with this, and I kind of liked it, but uh, you know, this is going to be a hard sell. It's a cloudy beer. I, I was gonna. I like to see
1: the bubbles.
2: And I said that nobody's gonna nobody's gonna put a uh, put an orange slice uh, as <laughs> a the, the garnish on on beer, and so we 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 put it in the marketplace, and it was, we, sales were pretty small, and we're a big brewer, so. Brewing something that's less than about ten thousand barrels a, a year, or is is just almost impossible for us, because you end up sending too much beer down the down the sewer. And I, so
1: <laughs> you're me of I, I tried, another story. Go ahead. So I tried to so I tried to kill it,
2: and they <laughs> said, no, no, this this is going to work. This is going to work. And so they asked me to go out. They were they were testing it in in Boston, and I went to Boston. And went to the bar, and they. I had a Blue Moon but they put a lime slice in I said look you guys have got this there's no way we could put lemon in, in beer so um, and I said this is not going to work I said no no believe me it's going to work so what happens basically is that people would see somebody drinking it in the bar and they'd look down the bar and say what's that and the bartender would say well that's a new beer it's called Blue Moon it's uh, refreshing it's different And they order one and they liked it and pretty soon what happened is that we we didn't sell it nationally, and we advertising was very small. And uh, distributors started asking for it, and once
1: that happened, it just kind of took off. So we, it was a, it was a twenty year overnight success. <laughs> you know, I and I did say this. I interrupted, but one of the things that I love about an ice cold Coors Banquet is. When you look at it, it looks refreshing because you see the bubbles. And I've had Blue Moon. I like it, but I'm not big on cloudy beers. I will ask you this, and remember you're on radio, this very popular show. I have never put an orange in my Blue Moon. Have you?
2: Oh, it is almost all, almost always.
1: <laughs> really, that's the way. You, that's the way you need to drink it, right? Okay, well, it's a very special orange It's a Valencia orange, <laughs> but it's uh, I think part of it's the it's
2: ritualistic, uh, and uh, it's as I say, it's it's kind of a refresh. It's a one of the first really different refreshing beers, and it, it you know it's a precursor to. Uh, seltzers and some of the other varieties that have come along and uh, it's been a huge success and we're, I, we're thrilled that we were able to, to drive that as the number one craft beer in the world I
1: haven't I haven't uh, I haven't adversely affected our friendship by saying I'm not drinking it with an orange have I
2: <laughs> you can drink it any way you want yeah.
1: <laughs> alright so just don't, just don't put an orange in your banquet n- no 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 alright so Pete the beer craze And there's a couple things that I, a couple stories that you reminded me of. Um, One of them, Cal Poly. You know, a lot of college campuses, listeners, they pride themselves. We're an alcohol-free campus. Yeah. Well, I got some news for you. You go through the dorms. You are not an alcohol-free campus. Now you, (laughs) you may not, uh, you may not advocate for it, and you may not have it on campus, but Cal Poly, they've got their own market, they've got their own winery, and they've got beer that they work with. So a couple of years ago, a few years ago... The president, he said, you know, Pete Coors reasonably well, don't you? I said, yeah, very good. I consider him a friend. He said, could you get him to come out and speak to our hospitality college and uh, a beer class? And so the place was absolutely packed. And one young lady stood up and said, you know, my boyfriend makes a pretty good craft beer. And um, he um, he made about 80 gallons last year. Do you think that this is something that Coors might have interest in? And I'll never forget your answer. You said, "You said, young lady, I don't mean to be rude here, but we probably spill eighty gallons a, a day. <laughs> so uh, probably not. When when he gets a little bit bigger, give me a call back." Which brings me, which brings me to you and the other two that I don't mention are the big boys. And if you can generate. And a lot of this came out during the latest Bud fiasco. If you can generate a half percent, a one percent, one and a half percent increase year to date in sales. Don't I remember you telling me that that's huge?
2: Yeah. uh, Volume is very important, but also pricing. I mean, pricing is a bigger actually has a bigger effect on us financially than than, uh, a one percent increase in volume. Uh, increase in volume is great as long as you have the capacity. And back in the sixties, when we were growing at 10% a year, um, our biggest, our biggest challenge was was uh, building capacity. Now we've got the capacity, and and, uh, and we have the ability to add. Obviously, it helps because it spreads out your overhead. It spreads out your your labor costs.
1: Hey, Pete, Pete, costs. Pete, I'm sorry, I'm coming up on a break. Hold that thought for just a second, and then we'll get back to it. Okay? Good. All right, talking with Pete Coors on the Mike Boyle Restaurant Show. All right, we're back with Pete Coors, and uh, I interrupted you. We were talking about the process, Pete. Go ahead on pricing and uh, ability to sell your product and so forth, because uh, that will lead me into uh, a story that uh, I was told down in Atlanta, Georgia, about craft beers. I-, I remember when CDC, Coors Distributing Company in Denver, they had what, maybe three products, Banquet, Light Killians, maybe one or two. Now they have something like four or 500. So all of those products are fighting for shelf life. You're trying to increase your sales at Coors. Talk, go back to, like you said, back into the. uh, Bring us forward with your story. Well, yeah, look. I got a little uh, rambly there, but you understand what (laughs) I'm saying. Well, I probably
2: get a little rambly as well. uh, (laughs) Yeah. I think that the the, the 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 real reality of the world today is that consumers are much more sophisticated. Uh they're looking for, for new and different things. Uh back you know, back in early days, uh, when you and I first started kicking around there was a lot of brand loyalty. A lot of You bet. You were you were a Coors drinker, a Bud drinker, a Miller drinker, or a Pabst drinker, or Schlitz drinker. And you didn't you didn't stray too far from that. Now, um, your 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 brand set could be ten or twenty things. I, I actually watched a, a guy come into a liquor store, uh, shorts and a motorcycle helmet, and he looked around the craft section. He finally picked up one special beer. It was a wasn't even a twelve ounce bottle, and he went to the uh, went to the register, and I went over to the to, to the shelf to see what he bought, and this was a, this was, thing was like twelve and a half bucks, one little bottle. And I went, to, I went to ask him. I said, "What in the world? It, which are you buying this?" Oh, he says, "My friends are going to be so jealous that I found this. This is this bear's made with the, you know those nuts that squirrels poop out." And I mean, I I, I, just, I, I couldn't. I wish I had a tape recording because I couldn't believe it. But the the marketplace is so different today and appealing to a broad uh, range of customers, and um, if you don't have those things, you're just just, just not going to play, and, um, and so, I, and, you know, this every generation is a little bit different. Uh, There's an article in the Wall Street Journal recently that uh, beer volume is, is the lowest it's been in 25 years, and uh, young, young drinkers are, are tending towards either spirits or not drinking at all or, or non-alcohol uh, beers. So just having been able to adapt to that as a you know after one hundred and fifty years it's uh, it's still
1: a big challenge well and and I, I think you know my loyalty to now in my profession, yes, if somebody says, "Would you like to try this beer?" and I always say, "I drink a lager, I would like it to be similar to a Coors banquet." So I'll try a craft beer at a restaurant. I'll try a craft beer at a brewery. But I'm a Coors guy. And to illustrate that point to the listeners, in 2009, the baseball all-star game, which I've gone to for 40 years, was in St. Louis. And um, in that town, St. Louis, the Cardinals, Mike Shannon is a local hero. He went to high school, wound up playing for the Cardinals, broadcast for them for 50 years, and he opened up a steakhouse. And when his wife got sick... He was concerned about his job. He was concerned about the medical bills. And Augie Bush said, Mike Shannon, you don't have to worry about a thing. You will always have a job with us. And he became very loyal to that brand, what I call the B word. Well... I always have a group of old buddies with me. So we were going to have about 12 guys. And I said, we ought to go to Shannon's Steakhouse. I called up the general manager and asked for a reservation the night before the game. And and I said, by the way, uh, do you carry Coors? I am a Coors guy. And he told me the story. And I said, well, I'm going to bring about 12 guys. We're going to spend an outrageous amount of money. Uh, They're going to have wine. They're going to have martinis. But I drink Coors. And he said, well, Mike, I don't think we'll have a problem with that if you can be discreet. And so we're sitting there, and we had a server that had been with him for many, many years, and uh, uh, got around to me, and I said, I'll have Coors, please. I'm drinking Coors beer. And the waiter never missed a beat, and he said, "Uh, sir, let me – I'll be right back. I've got to check on something. I'll be right back. And the next thing you know, a wine bucket on a stand was right next to my chair with a six-pack of Coors iced down in it, and – I told you the story, and I think that you and I, Pete, may be the only two people that have ever had Coors beers in Mike Shannon's restaurant.
2: Well, I, you know, I had my my uh, conversation with Mike Shannon a number of years ago. And what a great guy and totally just pa- just
1: passed away. Yeah, okay, a
2: super, super, super guy. And I said, you know, Mike, I said, I know you're loyal to Budweiser, but. I said, you got to have somebody else's beer in here just so that people can, can make, the, make the choice. Otherwise, how do you know how good your beer is? And he laughed. He said, well, it's not going to happen. So <laughs> uh, really, really wonderful guy, and, and uh, I, I admire and appreciate loyalty as much as uh, anything else.
1: Well, I was loyal to my brand and he was loyal to his and uh, but uh, I I remember telling you that story. One other story, Pete. Um Coors Banquet, Rocky Mountain Water, Brewed in Golden. I'm sitting in a bar in Valparaiso, Chile. And I said I'm going to have a beer. And he says, "Oh, you're an American, would you like to have a Coors?" And I said, "No, I've been all over the world, and I know that Coors has a wide, wide distribution system for the Coors Lights and whatever. And so he gives me a long neck of Coors Banquet. And I said, Coors Banquet in Valparaiso, Chile? How can that be? <laughs> it's brewed in gold, and it couldn't get all the way down here. So what do I do? I look in my phone, and who do I call? I call my buddy Pete Coors. And I said, Pete— I don't think I, t- I. I don't think I said you lied to me. I, but, but how did I get a Coors Banquet down here? Do you remember that story? You said, Mike, you're not drinking Banquet. <laughs> I said, I looked at. I'm looking at this label. I said, Pete, I'm looking at the label, and he says, Does it say Banquet? No, sir. What does this say in that? Li- it says 1873. Explain that story. <laughs> well, <laughs> they,
2: wanted, they wanted to have the. Uh, they wanted to have the, the, label, without. But I wouldn't let them put banquet on there because it wasn't going to be brewed and golden.
1: Right. And, uh, do you and do so you remember this story? This goofy phone yeah, call. I mean,
2: absolutely, <laughs> like yesterday. And, uh, the same the same thing is up up in Canada, and, and uh, they uh, but they're not allowed to put the banquet on there unless it's brewed and gold.
1: All right, and one other thing, getting back to expanding your sales and trying to do that. So I'm sitting outside the uh, ballpark in Atlanta, and um, so I walk into a craft beer house down there, and um, I said, said, I'm sitting at the bar, and the bartender's very nice. I said, I'm going to have a bite to eat. I'd like to have a beer, but I see you're a craft beer house, and you only serve your own beers. I would like, um, he said, well, if you're a Coors Banquet guy, try this one. So he gives it to me. and I said, oh, that's really good. Um, He said, well, it ought to be because we're owned by Coors. And so that's a way that you've expanded by acquiring some craft beer houses that you think are worthy of your brand and help you expand your brand and help you expand your sales. Talk about that. I was a little bit surprised about that.
2: Yeah, we've got three or four or five uh craft breweries that we've bought around the uh, around the country now, the one you're talking about is called terrapin it's very yes, popular it is. That's in exactly. Georgia and, and the southeast um and we've got uh, we've got some up in uh in michigan and and uh in texas uh, and uh i, I look I've, i'm not a craft beer drinker i know you and I either <laughs> and but uh and, uh but it, it helps us you know, here in Colorado we have Colorado native. And mm-hmm. what it what it does is it helps that educate us on how, how we need to compete in that space. Interesting. Uh, and uh, it's just it's just part of this uh, very sophisticated world of, of people. I mean, I, people like IPAs. I, I particularly, I, I particularly do not like IPAs. Me either. They're, they're just all you taste is hops. Yeah. But it's it's a very popular uh, variety of, of beers, and so we we, we got to play in that space, and mm. that's just the way the world has changed.
1: Well, Pete, I want to thank you for spending so much time with me. His name is Pete Coors, eighteen seventy three. That's when it all started in Golden, Colorado. And you and your family, the multi-generation families, uh, the brewery, your employees, I don't say this because I love you. I don't say this because you're a friend. I say it because it's true. You folks have been wonderful, wonderful contributors to not only the local marketplace, but uh, you've made it very clear where you stand on many different types of issues. A lot of places, a lot of people are afraid to do that. So I, I just think that you're a wonderful credit to the state of Colorado and the country. I really mean that. I don't want to get all gushy here, but I can't thank you enough for the time. I'm glad that we were able to share a little bit of the Coors story with the listeners. So thanks, Pete. I really appreciate it.
2: Mike, I, uh, I love our relationship and our friendship, and it's, we're way overdue to catch a baseball game this spring, so uh, can keep that in mind.
1: Let's do that. Let's have a beer, and uh, thanks so much for your time. All right? Thanks, Mike. All the best. All right. We're going to let Pete go. I'm Mike Boyle, and this is The Restaurant Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Mike Boyle Restaurant Show, where we occasionally talk about restaurants, but... Not this time, because we talk about travel, movies, books, sports, whatever we feel like talking about. I was contacted recently by a publicist. And uh, for those of you that know, we have a book club for The Restaurant Show. For those of you that know I interview authors, well, a lot of times I go to the library, I go to Barnes & Noble, I go to Amazon, something will pop up, a new book. Publicists contact me all the time. They know what type of books I like to read, what types of books I like to recommend, and we'll get those authors on. Well, I heard from a publicist that I wasn't really familiar with telling me about my next guest. His name is Jeff Stevens, Jeffrey S. Stevens. He's an attorney in Greenwich, Connecticut, but he has written a book called The Handler, a Nick Reagan thriller. Um, Anyway, I said, "Okay, well, send me the book. You made the synopsis sound interesting. Send me the book. They sent it to me. I read it. I loved it. Well, about a week or two later in my mailbox was his second book, Enemies Among Us. Now, I don't think that he writes them quite that quickly. But anyway, I read the handler. I read the enemy among Enemies Among Us. And I said, I've got to get this guy on the air. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. And thanks for allowing me to introduce you and your books to my listeners.
3: Well, thanks so much for having me, Mike.
1: You know, I think that I I don't you, you never know in this age of the Internet how I popped up on the radar of your publicist. But I'm sure glad I did. Jeff, the handler is to summarize very quickly. The handler is a guy in this country with nefarious intent, and he's got some. Young, rabid jihadis that he is in charge of delegating out terrorist attempts in Las Vegas, Minnesota and New York. And you find yourself wondering how these people can get into the country. How can they remain under the radar? And yet when you see what's going on with our southern borders, I find myself reading your book and thinking, This is right out of today's headlines. Go ahead and talk about it.
3: Yes, thank you. It's very interesting. I have a few things to say about that, some of which is kind of ironic. When I came up with the idea for this book, which was my, I guess, my seventh published novel, um, uh, my editor and my publisher talked to me and said, you know, this whole terrorist thing is kind of a little dead right now, and that's not necessarily what people want to read, but I said, you know, I think you're missing the mark. There are things going on here. I want to write this book, and
1: just a, Jeff, Jeff Jeff just out of curiosity because the book was published in 2022 the handler when was the conversation going on? Because I think that it's come more to the fore and trying not to turn this into a political debate here. But I think it's come much more into the headlines and become much more topical in the last two or three years. Maybe even. No, no question. OK, Go yeah,
3: ahead. no question. I agree. And, and those conversations took place pretty much in twenty twenty one to give you some kind of a time reference. And and the character. Upon whom Nick Reagan is based was actually a real CIA agent that I knew and who unfortunately now is gone. Um, but he gave me a lot of information. Understand, he didn't give me top secret information. He wasn't revealing state secrets. Mm-hmm. But he said to me, and he really believed this, that. Americans tend, and I say this lovingly because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a red-blooded American, Americans tend to have a short memory. No question. And when 9-11 occurred, boy, for the next couple of years... We're waving our
1: flags and we're standing like, oh, for the man. national anthem and we're singing with Lee Greenwood.
3: Go ahead. Thank you very much, precisely. And yet, over time, when nothing more happens, we sort of become lackadaisical about these things and we tend to forget. And this gentleman said to me, believe me when I tell you, what's going on behind the scenes, the things that we managed to prevent in the intelligence community, the CIA, the NSA, and so forth, you wouldn't believe what goes on. And in, in the dark web, where these people are communicating with each other, it's extraordinary. So how do people get in this country? They're here, some of them, for a long time. Some of them now, as you know, are pouring across the border, and we're not stopping them. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't want to be political about that. I just want to say that there's danger lurks. The, the handler, without giving a—I don't want to a spoiler alert, way too much of the story, (laughs) but it comes to pass that the reader understands how the handler got into this high position that he is in dealing with terrorists overseas while also operating in the United States. But in the final analysis these things do exist, and when the book came out, it suddenly became timely because look at these attacks in Israel and look at what's going on in this country and all these people pouring across the border, as I say, and many of them have been identified on the terrorist watch list. I mean, these are scary times and we have to have our eyes open. So that's why I wanted to write that book.
1: Well, and, and I, in, in following up on that, um, and by the way, folks, we're not being a, a, a this is not a prophecy of doom We're certainly nothing that we're advocating so if any of the alphabet, CIA, FBI, NSA are listening to this show, but listen, it's just something that we need to be aware of, because it's not just flying a plane into the World Trade Center, it's a mall in Minneapolis. It's a music gathering in New York, and so those are instances where we go about our daily business. I th- I thought the book, I read it, and I just felt like it. You know, it, it didn't depress me. It just said, yes, we need to be aware of these, and I think that we need to be vigilant. That's the word. But I don't think that we need to be paralyzed by it. I thought it was a heck of a book. And then, because you left me hanging, Jeff, I was glad to see The Enemies Among Us um, pop up in my mailbox. And it's obviously a follow-up. It came out in 2023. And um, there were a couple things there that I thought were really particularly, um, and I want to get to one of them, just to prove to you that I read the books. Um,
3: which I appreciate greatly what I say.
1: On page 304, well, and, and I think that that's important for my listeners. On page 304, Reagan, and, of course, that's Nick Reagan, your agent, Reagan now understood that they were working from inside our own government destroying the fabric of our principles compromising our values and violating the tenets of the of our constitution all from within. Worse than that, there was no indication their betrayal emanated from any ideological belief. It appeared to be nothing more or they were nothing more than mercenaries, traitors with highly placed in who were highly placed in our bureaucracy, willing to sell the country out for money and power without a scintilla of morality between them. Are they there?
3: Yes. yes I they guarantee are. you
1: I are. Go ahead. They are. Go ahead. And-
3: and what I want to say is I agree with you. This is not about liberals against conservatives, Democrats against Republicans. We have too much of that division in this country. This is about Americans pulling together. I mean, in recent times, it was nine eleven that galvanized us as a country. I mean, you know, George W. Bush, who was reviled by the left, at that point after those attacks had something like an eighty eight percent approval rating and so it, it, sometimes it's sometimes it's so sad to say it takes a tragedy to bring us together it takes that sort of thing it takes you know pearl harbor or what have you mm-hmm. and i don't want to see these things happen again i want us to work to prevent it so this shouldn't be about what political party you're aligned with this should be about recognizing that There is a cabal that exists in this world, and there are many of them within this country, who really are promoting a one-world philosophy. That's why... They're not appalled by the fact that we don't have a border. What kind of a country doesn't have a border? We, we're, sending, we're, sending to, we're sending billions of dollars to Ukraine to protect their border and doing nothing about our own. We're sending all this money to Israel to protect their border against Hamas and the Palestinians, but we're not protecting our own. A country has to have a border or you're not a country anymore. But there is this group, and many of them are highly placed, not so much in politics, but in business, in money, and so forth, where they say, day hey, this is good for business because the one-world economy works for us. We don't care about Mr. and Mrs. America. And when I hear them talk about how, oh, you know, things are terrific and, and the, uh, the inflation rate is actually going down, it should have never been that high in the first place. But I know people, working-class people, real people. I'm not talking about the elite, not the one-percenters. I'm talking about people who say, I just filled my car with gas and it cost me $84. Yeah. Or, I can't put food on the table the way I used to, but no one seems to care about that, and there are many out there who do not care. And that's why we need heroes like Nick Reagan to root for, in real life and in fiction, and we need to pull ourselves together and recognize that we are still Americans and that we need to come together now rather than splitting apart
1: the old joke and it's not a joke anymore about the poor guy that had his car broken into and had 300 dollars worth of groceries stolen out of his glove compartment. We're um we're, we're we're talking with Jeff Stevens. Jeff Stevens is an author out of Connecticut. He has two books out that I've recently read. One called The Handler, a Nick Reagan thriller, and the other is Enemies Among Us and I would I know they're standalone, Jeff, but I am going to tell the listeners start with the Handler handler. And when you're done with that, when you have trouble putting that one down, pick up Enemies Among Us, and you will absolutely love it. Jeff, do you have a few more minutes? We'd like to keep you around for just a few minutes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Once again, his name is Jeff Stevens. My name is Mike Boyle. And uh, let's do this. Let's go ahead and take a break, and we'll bring him back and talk more about the Enemies Among Us, because I've got another quote that I want to share with him. And I will tell you this, when you talk about a CIA agent you knew who's no longer with Jeff, I know somebody that is involved in taking many of these criminals that have crossed into our country back, and his words are, the ones, what we are apprehending and what we are taking back is only a drop in the bucket. All right, we're going to go and take a break and come back with Jeff on the Mike Boyle Restaurant Show. All right, welcome back to the Mike Boyle Restaurant Travel Movies and Book Show. We're talking with Jeff Stevens, Enemies Among Us. Um, Jeff, I shared with you, and you know, you talked about how the elite, how they want this one world order because it works out financially. One of the things that I say to people is when you vote, you need to remember that You can call it any type of political structure you want, but the elite do not want to live like you, and they certainly do not want you to live like them. It's a very exclusive club. Well said. All right. So anyway, they've apprehended a couple bad guys, and I'm not going to tell the listeners who they are. We're not going to give it away. That's not what we do here. But... The bad guy says you policemen do not understand how our world works. People like us never get convicted. Don't you know that our justice system is not designed. That would be the justice system here in Estados Unidos designed to put the rich and powerful in jail. It's intended to do nothing more than keep the streets safe and allow for the occasional prosecution of a white collar crime so that the masses believe there is fairness after all. And of course, Reagan, Nick Reagan, from everything you two have done, I think you really believe that. You really have no faith in this country or its principles. You believe that your wealth and position insulate you from consequences of anything you do, no matter how evil, wrong, illegal, or damaging to others. But we believe, and I think that that would be me and Jeff, my guest. Just the opposite. And here's the message I want to carry with you. I want you to suffer the full and complete punishment you deserve. Jeff?
3: Yeah, that's the, and that's Reagan talking to a couple of these yep. one-percenters that yep. I'm talking about yep. in the book yep. who who really don't care. They don't want you to live like them, and they don't care really how you live. They just want to keep the status quo so they can make money, whether it's in big pharma or big oil or manufacturing or or, or, or in the technology sector. It doesn't matter because they don't really care about the people who really form the heart and soul of this country. And I I just want to say one thing, I know we're talking serious things, but I just want to tell you one amusing anecdote one of you asked earlier, you know, how we came to you. Well, well, uh, Ascot Media, which is the PR company you're right, talking about, right. they know about you and your show and, and the connection to restaurants. And the inside joke here, which I'll share with everybody, is <laughs> that the fella that helps me with outlining my plots, I have a very good friend, Larry Garringer, and he helps me with plotting when I'm starting a new book, his big criticism of me is, I have too many scenes where characters meet in restaurants. <laughs> I, said, I said, but that's real life. That's where people meet. They sit down. They have cocktails together. They eat. And so I love describing restaurants anywhere in the world. As long as I've been there, I'm like you. I'm, I'm very into authenticity. So I have had to have been there, whether it's Paris or Las Vegas or Florida, or wherever it is. And the characters, and so I describe, you know, what they're ordering when they're eating and everything. So that's, for me, the restaurant connection. And I get roundly criticized for it because they say, well, no, we want more, you know, we want, I said, no, it's plenty of action going on because these exchanges in the restaurants are really fun because I think people can relate to that. And when I was writing the book, it was during the COVID problem. And so I really did want to create something that was a bit globe hopping because we were all, you know, shut down at home. And so that's why I decided to write a book where there were going to be a lot of scenes around the United States as well as overseas and, and, and you know, in Pakistan and in, in, in Paris and so on and so forth. So that, that's just the, that's the inside joke for me about restaurants and, and how we get, got to meet Mike Boyle.
1: Well, and I will tell you two things. First of all, once again. This book could not have been written without Larry Geringer. I'm such a geek. I read the acknowledgements. And um, but you know what? I think it, Michael Conley does that. I've had Michael on uh, down in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, there's a number. Grisham does that because, you know what? I'll tell you who else does it. C.J. Box. I've had him on when he writes about Wyoming and Montana. You know what? I look up those restaurants because I say to myself, the next time I'm in this town, I think I'm going to swing by. And you know what? I've gone into places and said, I read about you and I've had people look at me and say, oh. In the book, <laughs> like 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 to me, listen, this ought to tell you where I am spiritually there 's really one the book, but they they, they, mean, they mean the one where we 're referring to their restaurant or whatever it happens to be. Jeff Stevens, what a thrill to get you on. I mean that the handler and enemies among us, and uh, I just want you to know you 've got a place anytime you publish. Anything other than self-help books. I'm not into self-help books. <laughs> no, never mind. I look well, in the thank, mirror. Thank you very much
3: for that. And if I may just say to your listeners, because uh, sometimes this creates a problem, Stevens is with a P-H in it. So if you're looking for me on Amazon or your local bookstore, it's Jeffrey Stevens with a pH in Stevens. I completely agree with you, Mike. It would be best for people to read The Handler first, followed by the sequel, which is Enemies Among Us, and I'm hard at work on the next one.
1: And if you're driving around and can't write it down, just send me an email at mikeatmikeboyle.com, and I will get the information to you. All right, that wraps up this hour. I want to thank Jeff Stevens with the PH. I'm Mike Boyle on The Restaurant Show. I going to drop up by the lake and put my ass in a lawn chair, toes in the clay. Not a worry in a world of PBR on the way. Life is good today. Life is good today.